Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a business, I've met many, many successful people, entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes a person successful? Do we know what success is? And the all important question, can we create success for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. Mark Colborn, MBE, knew from a young age that all good things take time and that he was destined to speak professionally and teach others important skills and some of life's lessons, thought-provoking messages, which could help them work towards a particular outcome. Once a triathlete, climber and paraglider, Mark's life changed forever when, over the sands of his beloved South Wales, his paragliding canopy collapsed. Mark suffered a broken back and his future was utterly bleak. But after countless days of rehabilitation and determination, Mark became a cycling world champion just 18 months later. So from a broken back to breaking world records, today's Sandro Forte podcast guest is the remarkable Mark Colborn, MBE. Mark, it's a real pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's my pleasure. My pleasure to speak to your audience. Really, really kind of you to find the time because I know you're a very busy man, uh, not least because you're speaking in lots of different places, telling and sharing uh, the words of wisdom that have come from your own personal journey, which we're going to find out all about during this podcast. So uh, let's start, if we may, with with that horrible accident that you suffered, you know, when your canopy failed to, well, kind of collapsed on you and, and, and the horrors that followed. Just take us back, if you don't mind, to that moment when your life changed. Yes, yes, of course. Uh, it'd be my pleasure. I think immediately um, when you said those words, um, I, I have goosebumps. <laughs> I have goosebumps immediately on my arms and the hairs on my neck go up because I think whenever I take myself back to the 2nd of May 2009 at around 5.15 p.m. that afternoon above the Gower Peninsula in Swansea, it was just, life was just, yeah, life was great, you know, a nice job, company car, nice salary, you know, I, I had the weekends off and my passion at the time was paragliding and I was living the dream almost, you know, and uh, unfortunately at around possibly around 5.30 p.m. that afternoon, um, we'd been flying all day, you know, perfect conditions. And unfortunately, my canopy, my paragliding canopy uh, collapsed. Um, unfortunately, I flew into what is known as a crosswind and it just blew the canopy, you know, inside out. And I came down probably from around 40 feet. So you can imagine, you know, it was high enough to, um, you know, to, to cause me a, a severe, um, you know, a, a severe accident that caused severe um, damage, should I say. But it wasn't until I, I was actually airlifted that afternoon by the Wales Air Ambulance to Morriston Hospital in Swansea to be told that, you know, unfortunately I'd broken my back. And I never thought for one moment that this machine that I walk around in, you know, this human machine that, you know, is probably worth trillions of dollars that, you know, I almost felt, um, you know, invincible could ever be damaged. And to be told that night that I'd broken my back was just, well, it was just almost a, an unthinkable situation, you know. 
And yet, Mark, you you recovered not just emotionally, but physically in the sense that within 18 months, I don't want to kind of fast forward too much because I want to explore this journey in a bit more detail. Um, but, you know, fast forward for a moment, 18 months, and you were winning, you were, you were you know, winning a gold record, a, a gold medal. And uh, I, I love the, the kind of strap line, despite the very, very unfortunate circumstances in which you found yourself, breaking your back to breaking world records. I mean, that is a remarkable feet but by any stretch of the imagination how did that happen because you must have in that moment when you were given such a bleak prognosis you must have thought you know what um you know is it worth um m- making the effort finding the the steely determination that you obviously needed to get back to where you've got to subsequently i mean what went through your mind at the time and how did that journey begin yeah it's it's a great question and i think the answer is is quite simply you know 30 years um of sport you know 30 years of having incredible sometimes crazy experiences growing up in south wales and uh, and also having amazing parents i suppose guided me to certain areas of my life and uh, and i think one of the one of the main memories i have was when i was actually in hospital i was probably about 3 months into the recovery stage in hospital and just you know just sitting there in bed and crying you know feeling almost sorry for myself going through the shock period and my late father you know almost um, you know leaning forward and catching hold of me and you know just saying to me you know snap out of this you know you you need to get through this because you're a winner and I thought, mm, he's got a point here, <laughs> you know, because I'd never given up on anything that I'd ever, you know, aspired for in life. And my dad said, you know, why would you give up now? And I thought, mm, yeah, he's, he's actually got a point here. And maybe it was the change of mindset that I needed to take me out of, you know, the position of, um, you know, paralysis that I was in mm-hmm. at, at that point. And I think that then carried me through to literally, you know, um, 12 months after my accident when I first started cycling with a disability. And I was very privileged to meet an incredible chiropractor from Cardiff, uh, Dr. Matthews, who asked me, you know, what was wrong with my legs? How come I was cycling, you know, with a, um, you know, with lower leg paralysis, having broke my back 12 months previous. And I just said, well, I don't know, but I can. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and at that point he asked me then if I was training for the London 2012 Paralympic games, which was June, 2010, when he asked me the question. And I thought to myself, wow, I wonder if I can get myself into, you know, the fitness that I had before my accident, you know, if I could get myself healthy and well again to maybe, just maybe, you know, make it. That was the whole, that was the whole start of the journey to maybe make it to the London 2012 Paralympic Games. What an incredible memory that would leave me and my family, you know, after the trauma that I'd gone through. And I, I, you know, I shook this gentleman's hand and said, thank you very much for planting the seed. And that's when, you know, that's when I literally, you know, put the plan in place with Neil Smith from Disability Sport Wales. And then, you know, then we went to work, you know. Wow. To take the word that you used earlier. Wow. Absolutely. Wow. So it started with the decision, obviously. And then, you know, what were those, what were the component parts that took you to the top of the world effectively, you know, within such a short space of time? Because it it couldn't have been, it couldn't have been an easy journey, Mark. 
Oh, gosh, no. No, definitely not. For two reasons. One, because my dad wanted me to go back to work. <laughs> Good old dad. My dad thought I was crazy. Um, my dad said, don't be so foolish. Go back to work. You know, your job's there for you. Just give up this Olympic, Paralympic dream you've always had ever since I was a child. And I disagreed with my dad. I said, I've got to do this because, you know, my dad taught me all my life that, you know, we're only here, um, you know, for a good time, not a long time. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I suppose looking back on it now, he taught me all my life to pursue those dreams, you know, pursue those passions and never give up. So I disagreed with him and he walked away, I suppose, disgusted maybe at the time. But I knew that, you know, he would either see me in London flying the flag or he would see me dead on the side for trying. And that's when, you know, Neil Smith, who I give, you know, complete trust in because Neil is an incredible volunteer uh, for Disability Sport Wales. He would trained, uh, you know, previous Paralympic champions, world champions, world record holders. Um, before then, you know, he would hand them over to British Cycling. And I guess I just had to have belief, you know, in what Neil did and certainly belief in the process through Disability Sport Wales into British Cycling. Well, I knew that British Cycling had uh, facilitated, you know, many, many athletes for Paralympics GB to compete, you know, in a Paralympics, whether it's, you know, Sydney, Athens, Beijing. And, you know, the, the crunch question for me was London 2012 was only going to happen once. So I had a choice. I could either give it 100% and, you know, almost uh, expect the outcome, whatever the outcome was going to be, or maybe pace myself and maybe, you know, maybe make it then to, you know, to Rio uh, 2016. And I kept evaluating the experience of, you know, competing in the Paralympics, you know, in my own country, for my own country, and I just thought, wow, <laughs> what an experience, <laughs> what an experience that's going to be. Mm. And that's when we went to work, you know, with the plan that Neil Smith had. Um, Neil, I'll never forget Neil saying to me, you know, with regard to the training that I had to do. And, uh, and he basically said, you know, just do the work, do the training and let the numbers win the argument, mm. you know. So, yeah, it was uh, an incredible memory, you know, working with Neil. It, it definitely was. I'm, I'm really interested in what you've just said, Mark, because um, I'm paraphrasing slightly, but this whole notion of making a decision, you say 2012 comes around once and it was really a question of doing it now rather than doing what many, many people do, which was find it easier if you like to kick the can down the road. I'm using a kind of metaphorical expression here, but kicking the can down the road, making the excuse because it's a bit more comfortable. But you saw this as a one and only opportunity and you just went for it, right? Very much so, you know, very much so. And like I said to Neil, from the very first moment I met Neil, was my goal was just to make it to the London 2012 Paralympic Games. It was going to be, you know, two years of, you know, hard work, lots of grind, you know, lots of sacrifices. And was I prepared to go through all of those emotions and trauma and upset and disappointment? Yes, mm. 100%. Because, you know, as I said, London was only ever going to happen once. So the only thing that we had to do was focus on the process, not the outcome. Mm. Because we, we were never going to know if the outcome was going to happen unless we went through you know, that sort of 700 day period of just nonstop, 
you know, training and learning. And yeah, it, it was a steep learning curve for me. Mm. It definitely was. But that but that training regime, as hard as, as it was, Mark, I mean, you can almost liken that to the world of business. You know, many of our podcast listeners uh, come from the world of business. They don't obviously come from the background that you come from, which is sport primarily. But is there is there a link between discipline in sport in terms of what you went through and discipline in business, which a lot of people find themselves going through day to day? Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Because I was told after Neil Smith almost handed me over, you know, to British Cycling in 2011 to, you know, to almost say, you know, I've taken this, you know, um, well, I was going to say young lad, but I was 41 years of age, <laughs> so I was far from young to you know, to put myself into the, into the, the club of the elite and then British cycling take you from good to great. Mm. And I guess the experience that I'd had working in, you know, in the working environment, in corporate, I, I already had that drive and determination. So it was now time to, you know, I suppose swap, uh, all the characteristics that I'd ever had into the sporting environment. So it's definitely a great mm. synergy. And I think for many people, you know, at the C-suite level, you know, chief executives, you know, chief operating officers Mm. who who have to perform like elite athletes, you know, in the boardroom because, you know, you are world class. And I think for many people who may not necessarily see their role as world class, however, my approach on that is, well, the company has selected you to do the job that, you know, you're responsible to do. So they must see something in you. And if you cannot perform at your best, well, you know, it's a pretty poor show because, you know, and I speak, I speak quite openly of this on stage all around the world now that, you know, employees expect 100% of their salary and yet sometimes not necessarily given a hundred percent of their performance which is, you know, is unfair, unfair, uh, certainly unfair on the employer, you know. So, so yeah, I think people should know uh, what 100% feels like. And, uh, and then that, that sort of uncomfortable zone becomes your comfort zone, mm. um, certainly in my experience anyway. So here we are, I'm 10 years on, uh, almost the day. I mean, it was... 10 years and a month ago, right, that um, that you had that, that awful accident. But one of the things that I've uh, done is I've spent a lot of time uh, sifting through a very, very good website, may I say. And I'd just like to explore that there were three main things that I focused on in all that I know about you, Mark. First of all, let's talk about, if you don't mind, the, the values that you have, because they are they're kind of a mainstay of the presentations you give. And we'll talk about your speaking uh, career in a moment. But just tell us, if you would, about those values in life, because they, they come across loud and clear as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think that the first value that I have is, as I said, you know, always given 100%, you know, in everything you do. You know, and my late father always told me, you're either you're either early or you're late. <laughs> <laughs> There's no in between. Yeah. And and I taught, you know, I've taught those, I suppose, those thought processes to many people. And, you know, certainly in life, understanding and appreciating life and having gratitude for, for everything, whether you have everything in life that you aspire for or whether, you know, in my case, when I broke my back, I almost had nothing you know, but I still had gratitude. I was still pleasant. I was still, you know, kind. And, and I think that's really important in life, you know, never to lose, um, never to lose the fact of who you are, mm. you know, 
and uh, and certainly contribution and a lot of my time to other people because I believe in teaching other people what I know because I suppose those key principles you know have worked for me and uh, and I I'm you know I'm a firm believer that they'll work for many other people as long as you're prepared to I suppose fall in love with sacrifice fall in love with compromise and uh, and it can certainly take you into areas of of your life that you know you, you may not necessarily thought existed you know yeah. so one of the one of the reasons Mark why I was particularly excited to have you as a guest is that uh, and I hope you don't mind me um embarrassing you for a second but you you are a very real person you're a very normal down-to-earth guy and everything that I know of you uh, is exactly as you've set out and and I think that that is to your enormous credit and one of the things that I particularly want to touch on that I I've picked up is this idea that you uh, and you can give us some more detail if you don't mind but you talk about leaving behind a true legacy what, what does that what does that mean as far as you're concerned yeah I think it goes back to I think I'm sure I was about 10. I wish I kept a diary when I was a child, but I'm sure I was about maybe nine or 10 years of age. And my dad was having a conversation with me around the, you know, the, the, the gift of life and how short life actually really is in the, the grand scheme of things. And he was explaining about, you know, how obviously how we're born, how we live and then obviously how we pass on. And it was quite upsetting, you know, for, for me at the time as a young lad, thinking that, you know, we, we lived forever. Um, and I think that was that was definitely the wake up call that I needed to give me the mindset to enjoy as much out of life every single day, you know, and 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 I remember him saying to me, just remember that one day in the future, you know, tomorrow will be your last day. And I think at that point, I wanted to create almost a legacy, you know, for, for myself, even before the word legacy um, almost was created, you know, certainly through London 2012. And and then after the journey to London, I guess the success of London and then obviously the, you know, the post-London uh, euphoric feeling for that, you know, two or three year period. And, and I'll never forget meeting a sports psychologist who asked me one question, and it was quite a profound question. What would you want written on your headstone? And I said, well, if I'm honest, I'd not really thought that far ahead, but thanks for the question. <laughs> and, and my answer was, I know I made a difference mm. because, you know, to go through life, you know, doing incredible, you know, incredible things for yourself. I know it sounds almost quite pretentious, but it, it, it would not know that it was easy because it wasn't easy. But when you achieve it, it, you know, it feels like it was all worth it, if that makes sense. So mm. now I feel privileged, honored you know, to help lots of, you know, FTSE 250 companies all around the world to think about change, you know, become better, be the best you can be, Mm. you know, even if sometimes you're not necessarily the best, you know, and and be proud of what you can achieve, you know. I was going to ask you now about your speaking career and how that, uh, how that kind of morphed from your experiences. So two silvers and a gold and all these amazing things you achieved as a cyclist and as a sportsman generally. So how did the speaking thing come about? Did you just wake up one day and think, you know, I've got a message I want to share with people or was it a question of looking for a second career? How did that all happen? I think the feeling of um, of sharing information has been with me all my life, even, you know, even since sort of teenage years in comprehensive schools. Um, and I feel, yeah, I feel like I was always, always destined to speak. 
um, for the right reasons, not 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 for selfish reasons, very unselfish reasons actually. And then after winning the World Championships in February 2012, um, I was lucky to present to a large accountancy company in Manchester and just sharing my mindset because at the time there were students who had just left university, they were just starting their new career. You know, with this company, there was lots of change, you know, happening, um, you know, in these, uh, in the lives of these, you know, young adults. And, uh, and I loved it. I genuinely loved it. You know, the feeling of helping other people was, was just a, yeah, it was just a pleasure. And, you know, after London 2012, you know, I signed with, you know, some speaking agencies because I genuinely wanted to share my message you know, of, mm. uh, of how to create that lasting change, you know? So well, that, yeah, I've, I've loved it for the last sort of six years, you know, truly enjoyed it. And very good. You are at it too, if I may say, um, the, the, ch- the whole change thing, I mean, that's a huge topic for people, isn't it? And a lot of people do find it, you know, they, 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 they wake up with a dream or an idea, never seem to transition to the point where that dream or that goal turns into some kind of reality. And then they look back with regret later in life. So without going into, you know, huge amounts of detail because it's a very, very vast subject. I know that um, a lot of your focus in terms of your speaking, you've already alluded to the fact you work with a lot of large companies in various different parts of the world now, Mark. How how do you um, how do you change people's attitudes to things? You, you know, you talk about um, uh, an unnatural fear. Uh, so how and, and that perception of fear, how do you help people to deal with those kinds of issues? Uh, I think there's, there's there's three main pillars that I work with. The first one is to invite uh, people to just take a look. You know, I, I've got the um, the trophy cabinet, shall we say? Um, you know, to prove that what I've achieved and how I did it uh, works. So, you know, to invite somebody in just to take a look is the first pillar. The second pillar is to educate people on how change happens. You know, physically you know, um, certainly emotionally, you know, within people. And when they start to understand how you manage change, you know, albeit at a cellular level, that's when, you know, senior management, middle management, even down to, you know, your sort of production workers can understand how to deal with change, you know, certainly sometimes on a weekly, monthly, sometimes even on a daily basis in a, a very fast moving working environment. And then the last and most important pillar is actually then support, you know, is supporting people along the journey, you know, to, to be patient, you know, to be patient through change because, you know, in my experience, all good things take time, you know? So it's, it's really important with those three pillars to, you know, to see the journey through, be patient, and uh, change when change happens, you know, which is really, really important. Yeah. I, I need to ask you about your MBE because uh, for a mere mortal like me, uh, the, the closest thing I'm ever going to get to a medal is uh, is something I can buy in the local shop. So um, w- that came about because of your services to, well, your achievements in, in the world of sport, particularly with regard to your, um, your, your cycling prowess. Um, but what was that whole experience like and how did it happen? Oh, it was incredible. It it was just a feeling like if I, if I take the listeners back to when they were a child, 
you know, and you you remember walking, um, you know, down the stairs on Christmas morning when we you were maybe like six, seven, eight years of age when, you know, Christmas meant something to you. And uh, it was almost the feeling of Christmas, birthdays, bank holidays, Valentine's Day. <laughs> All rolled into one. <laughs> All rolled into one feeling, you know, and taking my mother and my daughter to probably the most prestigious house, you know, in the world, um, you know, to be awarded, you know, an incredible award, mm. you know, by, you know, His Royal Highness Prince Charles. And, you know, actually standing in front of this iconic gentleman and having a conversation, you know, was just a moment in time that uh, I'll never forget. And I guess that that day, you know, May 2013 was four years after my accident. And that day was almost my mother's day, you know, to take my mother there for her to, you know, walk into this incredible iconic building and just see the smiles on her face, you know, after I suppose everything that she'd gone through, um, you know, herself personally and obviously my accident and seeing me go from, you know, almost good to great was uh, was just a wonderful, wonderful memory for me to see her, you know. Um, yeah. experience that, you know. She must be very proud, as, as indeed would your father looking down, I'm sure. So, mm-hmm. um, Mark, f- for somebody who's achieved so much, do you do you have any more things that you want to achieve? Any future goals, aspirations? Are you kind of constantly on the go looking to reinvent yourself or are you are you done now? What's what's What does the future hold for Mark Colborne MBE? Yeah, I think the future for me is creating an, um, a, a, another legacy, but on a bigger scale. I know this sounds, you know, quite, um, you know, quite, quite a strong statement, but I'm a firm believer that, you know, when you have great health, you can achieve great things, you know, and I was privileged to, I guess, at the age of 42, you know, win my medal, you know, break two world records on, on the same day. And that, that was not great luck. You know, that was done on great health. And I see the obesity rate in the UK and across Europe rising all the time. And it's it breaks my heart. You know, it's very pitiful to see the problem of uneducated youngsters and young adults, you know, um, not being educated on on correct nutrition. So, you know, I'm a firm believer of educating people on on what they need to eat. And, you know, certainly exercise, you know, even if it is only maybe two or three times per week, um, you know, and even now myself, you know, I go out cycling at least two or three times a week, every week um, to make sure that I stay fit and strong, which then helps obviously with my men- mental str- strength as well, you know. Mm. I'm going to throw a slightly profound and and fairly far reaching question forgive me for doing this to you but since you come from a place of great success what would you what would you and obviously we know success is relative and and it's very personal but what would you say was your definition of success mark because i mean you talk about it a lot uh, you help people to to progress from a place in life to a different place so that kind of lasting change but what you know what's what success mean to you i think success means to me is doing what you love Okay, you know, as my late father said, go back to work, you know, go back to your corporate job with your company car. And and yes, I enjoyed work. You know, I loved work. But the the priority for me was, you know, was achieving something that nobody could ever take away from me, you know. And it was just the memory, the memory of London 2012, because, you know, dad used to say that, you know, when we pass on uh, in later life, you know, there's two things that's really important. Um, one, you know, never having any regrets, 
because when you get to 70, 75, 80 years of age, it's too late then. You mm-hmm. can't achieve the the great skydiving achievements or the rock climbing achievements or, 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 or sailing a boat or whatever, whatever your passion is. And I think the second thing is when we pass away is that you only take with you the memories, the emotions, the friendships, the feelings, everything else, you know, the house, the car, the shoes, the watch, the holiday home, the yacht, you hand it all back, mm-hmm. you know? So in, in life, my thoughts are, my feelings are that everything we work for materialistic, we only borrow, you know, we only borrow. So friendships, feelings, emotions, you know, is gathering as many as you can, you know, because that's what fulfills your life. And I think when you do what you love, then you've won, mm. you know? Yeah. I'm just thinking back to you being presented with your gong by Prince Charles. I mean, the fact that he's uh, the Prince of Wales is, is rather ironic, isn't it? And But fantastic for you and your country. So well done. Um, I, I need to ask you this question. Um, if you could have your time again, would you have gone up paragliding that day on the 2nd of May, 2009? Um, I think knowing now everything that I've achieved and every person I've helped through the legacy of London 2012, then yes, definitely. You'd you, you do it all again? Definitely, 100%. Yeah. Well, good for you, because I mean, it's not been an easy journey. And, and, I, and I will say to all the li- listeners, and there's lots and lots and lots of them now, tens of thousands, in fact, that this is a guy, Mark Colborn, MBE, you need to listen to and you need to check out his website. And that leads me on nicely, Mark, to give you the platform to tell everyone about how we find out more about you and what you're doing. So any social media links, website and all that stuff. Yeah, very much so. And there's there's quite a, an ironic um, statement when you mention Prince Charles because my mother Margaret um, is on. <laughs> she has the same birthday as Prince Charles, the fourteenth of November. Um, so that's even more, wow. more ironic, isn't wow. it? You know, which is really spooky, actually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of your listeners, I just wanted to say two things. Um, first of all, thank you very much indeed for giving me your time to listen to this podcast uh, with Alessandro. And if you would like to know more, then please visit markcolborn.com and uh, and obviously our team can help you with any inquiries moving forward. And that's C-O-L-B-O-U-R-N-E, just for people to be sure that they're finding the right person. But it, Mark stands out head and shoulders above anyone else with a similar name, so I'm sure they'll find you. What about social media, Mark? Yep, social media, same with Twitter, at Mark Colborn. Um, certainly, you know, Facebook, um, Mark Colborn. Um, as you said, <laughs> it's it's not a very common name, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, obviously the platform, um, you know, the platforms that we obviously use to share obviously the information um, is obviously the main source plat- platform. So uh, yeah, please get in touch. Uh, more than happy to you know um, answer any inquiries, and uh, and yeah, we definitely enjoy helping other people to create that lasting change. And I'm and I'm sure they will. Uh, and I, I meant what I said to you earlier at the start of the show that uh, just before we came on air that uh, there will be a few doors opening for you speaking wise as a result of this podcast. So uh, we'll, we'll talk about that separately. Final question, Mark. We ask this to all of our guests. It's the only one that's common amongst them all. And it's a, a great way, particularly everything we've heard and you've been kind enough to share so openly with us today. If you could be giving now a simple piece of advice, like all that great advice your dad gave you over so many years, if you now had to reciprocate by giving some advice, a few pearls of wisdom to a younger version of Mark Colborn, 16 years of age, looking up to uh, 
his dad, you, and saying, okay, dad, so I, what do I need to know to, to take life on, you know, to achieve all the things I want to achieve? What, what few words of wisdom would you give him, Mark? I think the few words of wisdom would be, as I said just now, um, you know, find out what you truly love in life. Because when you, when you truly do what you enjoy, it doesn't feel like work. It doesn't feel as if it's a bind or it's, it gets in the way, you know, it's a passion. And sometimes in my experience, you know, you have to maybe try, you know, four, five, six different things in life before you truly find that one passion where you almost wake up every day and it feels like Christmas, you know? So, so yeah, try different things, you know, certainly use the people around you to find those avenues, you know, don't do it all alone. And I guess, you know, with Neil Smith, you know, was a great mentor, you know, obviously my late dad was my go-to guy, you know, he was my inspiration. And, uh, and then, you know, having the, having the determination to ask questions, you know, don't, don't be insular, you know, open up to the world, treat everybody like your best friend and, uh, and, and doors will open, you know, mm. definitely. Well, I have to say, Mark, I mean this sincerely, you are credit to yourself, your profession, and indeed to the country of Wales, a really fabulous place, not very far from where I grew up. So um, thank you so much, really, thank you so much for sharing um, such a, a, a detailed, honest, open account of your life and all, all the struggles and challenges that you've so brilliantly overcome. And um, I, I salute you on behalf of the tens of thousands of people listening for all you've achieved. And long may everything you are aspiring to do continue, particularly given the legacy you're looking to create and all the people you're helping. Uh, may that continue for many, many years to come. Thank you, Mark Colborn, MBE, for what is an amazing contribution today. Thank you. Thank you very much, Alessandro. That was the Sandro Forte podcast and I'm almost speechless. Mark Colburn, what an amazing guest he was today. There are many more fantastic guests joining me over the coming weeks, so please make sure you subscribe if you want to pick up some great tips on success. Remember, you can follow us on social media at Sandro's Podcast, that's Sandro's with an S, same on all channels, and we'd love to continue to hear your stories, ideas, anecdotes, challenges, or whatever motivates you. And don't forget, please refer anyone you think might make a good guess. So email me, hello at sandrospodcast.com, and if you can, please continue to leave those reviews on iTunes so we know what you'd like more of in the future. Thank you.